This is from a recorded talk. So we have a day off from work now. We've come here to practice. We all know already that um, for us being able to live in this world, that we need to depend upon these four requisites. We need food, we need clothing, shelter, and medicine. These are things that we depend on. Uh, Our houses that we live in, um, we need these. But if our hearts don't have Dhamma, then they also won't have any happiness in them. They'll just be suffering. And these requisites, these external things that we depend on to survive, um, what they give us is a freedom to a degree from pain, physical pain, and a freedom from a certain degree of mental pain as well, because with the mind being concerned with the body, there's less suffering within the mind as well. But the heart still has this ignorance, um, craving and clinging within it, and these things cover over the mind, and they make it really try and grasp after things, try and get too much, and that gives us excessive suffering. And this can carry on until the hearts just can't take it anymore. So the Dhamma is that which gives us coolness. And we see that when we put it into practice, then that's what we receive within our hearts, is this inner coolness. And so when our hearts are imbued with Dhamma, then they have this peace within them. But if they're lacking this quality of Dhamma, then they'll be hot, they'll be aggravated. And this heat just increases and increases. The fires of greed, hatred and delusion burn in the heart. And so there are these three fetters, these three kilesas, and things that we hear about very often, this greed, this anger and delusion, um, that make the heart suffer. And so we see when anger arises, then we say our hearts are very hot, and they're not peaceful at all. When greed comes up, we want too much of things, and we want things and try to get them in a way that is immoral. Then a lot of suffering appears within the heart. And if we attach to me and mine too much, then the heart becomes very hot, it becomes full of suffering. And so there's just this pain, the suffering that arises within the heart. But the Buddha also taught that all qualities, all phenomena, they have causes which gives rise to them. He taught the causes of these phenomena and also how when those causes are absent, then that thing itself will stop. And so all things are this way. They all have causes which make them arise. And whether it's happiness, whether it's suffering, these are all dhammas, these are all phenomena which have causes and conditions which give rise to them. That they don't just appear out of thin air, they don't just happen haphazardly. And it's not like we're just sitting here, not doing anything, and suffering or happiness arises. That's not the case. There are causes and conditions which bring about these things. And so when we know these causes and conditions, know what gives rise to happiness, what gives rise to suffering, then we should try to make sure that we don't put in these causes for suffering. And what is that cause? Well, it's craving. 
there are these three kinds of craving. There's the craving for sensuality, craving to be and become, the craving to not be, to not have. And these are the causes for suffering to arise within the heart. And so the Buddha taught us about these four noble truths, that of dukkha or suffering, the cause of dukkha, its cessation and the path leading to that cessation. And so this dukkha, it's kind of this being ill at ease, having a lack of ease within the body and within the mind. And the cause for that is this craving. If there's no craving, then that dukkha can't arise. And even though we don't want to experience this, we don't want to experience any pain or suffering, and um, sometimes we do feel this, and we feel like we just don't want it at all. We don't want for our minds to be that way. They may be full of greed, full of anger, full of delusion. They may be scattered all over the place and chaotic, or a mess. And we don't want it to be that way. But these things, they have their causes, which give rise to them, and that is dunha, this craving. And so if we feel like this, and we don't want for it to be this way, I feel very stirred up and chaotic, and we don't want that, then that's just even more craving, this vibhava dunha. And if we get or find amusement and pleasure in sights and sounds and tastes, tactile sensations, this too is a kind of craving. And if we just want to experience more of that, get more and more of that kind of happiness, then that's bhavatanha, another kind of craving. So if we don't have mindfulness, if we don't have wisdom, then there'll just be this craving, constant craving, and this constantly provides the causes for suffering to arise. So the Buddha taught us the cause of this, the cause of suffering. And it's natural that our minds don't want to experience this. They don't want this suffering. But in their present state, they do have this craving still. And this craving arises due to delusion. And so we need knowledge to fix this problem. We need wisdom there. We need to have right view. And this right view is the first aspect of the noble path. And if we can get our views right, then everything else will be right, all the way down to right samadhi, sama samadhi. So the whole of this path of sila, samadhi, panya, or virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, it will all be correct. So when our hearts walk this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, and they just carry on going, then what will happen? This niroda, cessation, will appear. And it appears because all craving has been thrown off, it's all been put out. There's no place for that suffering to abide, because there's no craving there, so there can not be any suffering. And that's just how things are. So if we don't want to experience suffering, and we just want freedom from that, but we don't walk this noble path, then the causes for suffering will always be there. We don't want to get it, but we'll always be getting it. We'll always be meeting with that dukkha constantly. We don't want to experience that dukkha, and so we need to 
know what it is that causes that dukkha, what causes and conditions give rise to it, and then try to abandon these causes and conditions. And so that niroda can come up. So we have these ten fetters, these ten deep kilesas that are binding over our hearts. And the first three of these are sakayaditi, the self-view, vitikicca, skeptical doubt, and silabhata paramasa, attachments to rites and rituals. And these three fetters, all good people, kalyanachanas and all putujanas, are those thick with defilements, they all have these binding over their hearts. That all ten of these fetters are there. So when we have this self-view, this is a wrong kind of view, which is deeply embedded in the heart, and it's been there for countless lifetimes already. And when we have this, then there'll always be birth that comes up. And whenever we're born, there'll be a sense of me and things that belong to me. And when this is the case, then there'll constantly be suffering there, always be suffering within our hearts. So when we, or if we get born as a deva, then there'll be the sense of me, that I am a deva. If we get born into the human realm, then we take that personally, believe that I am a human. And it's the same when we fall as well, get born as an animal, then I am an animal. And it's even more difficult when we fall into these lower realms, it's very difficult to fix this situation. So in our present state, we attach to this. We really think that we are humans, and we're deluded in this way. So we should come to contemplate, and come to contemplate that this greed, hatred, and delusion can arise only because the heart still clings. It still has attachment to me and mine. It's this Sakaya Ditti. It gives rise to it. And there's also this skeptical doubt And we can doubt, well, what's the point of the practice? Why do we practice? What for? We still doubt about this body. Is it really me or not? There can be many doubts about the way of practice. And then attachment to rites and rituals is keeping the precepts or doing performing rituals in a way that is other than for the purpose of abandoning the defilements that perhaps we want to gain a good birth and we keep the precepts for that reason. And so this is attachment to rites and rituals. So when we practice, then initially we are generous, we keep our virtue well and we listen to the Dhamma. And this is for the purpose of abandoning these three lower fetters. And how do we put them down? How do we abandon them? We have to walk this path of zila, samadhi, and banya, and this is what is able to let us cut off these three fetters. And when we walk this path, and our minds are well established on this path, then we'll gain a right view, this view into not-self, that replaces the view of self. And then we're able to abandon and put down the things that we consider to be me and mine. Because when we're born into this world, we're met with all of these conventions, and then we cling on to these conventions. 
and so our hearts can't experience liberation. So we should practice and then contemplate into this body and see how the body has this breath coming in and going. And we just watch that breath until the mind becomes peaceful, to become, becomes well-established. And there's joy, rapture that arises within it. These qualities of vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakata, the initial and sustained application of the mind, and then joy, happiness, and one-pointedness, one-placedness. And the mind meets with stillness and peace and respite here. And then we use this calm to contemplate into the body, to contemplate that the Buddha taught that these, this greed, hatred, and delusion comes up because of the attachment that we have to this body as really being me. And so we should contemplate, is it actually me? And just carry on doing this. Reflect upon the nature of all material things. Do they have the nature to deteriorate? Do they change following the laws of nature? Do they have to finish? Do they have to die? Perhaps we've listened to these things before, but our understanding isn't clear, and so we still cling on to them. Our mind wants for these things to last forever, to be the way that we like them forever, but this just simply isn't possible. Because all the things in this world, they're constantly arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, and this is true as well for these bodies of ours. That they have this arising, lasting for a bit, and then ceasing as their nature, their normal, to be that way. And this is true for all material things. It's true for this body as well. The material things that are sentient, that have minds within them, and the non-sentient material things, that all of these are unstable, they're all stressful, they're all not-self. So when we contemplate this with a peaceful mind, then we'll be able to gain a clear insight into them, uh, slowly but surely. And we gain more knowledge, this steadily arises. And then we're able to destroy uh, Sakayaditi, the self-view, and make it weaker and weaker. And so these ten fetters, these ten kilesas, we're able to steadily destroy them through this path. The Sakaya Ditti, along with Vichikicha and Silabhata Baramasa, through seeing that the body is really something that's unstable, it's really something that's stressful, it's painful, and it's not, we can't find a true self within it. The Buddha was intelligent in the way that he taught, and he taught many methods to developing wisdom, but he saw that initially what we need to do is to know how to be generous, to know how to make this kind of merit, to be able to share our material things and also the feelings in our hearts and to be able to forgive others as well. And this is something that we need to develop initially because if we just have a lot of greed within our minds, if they're filled up with the selfishness, then when we sit in meditation, our minds just won't become settled. And why is that? Well, it's because this greed is preventing this goodness from arising. It's preventing the mind from becoming settled. It's the same for anger, the same for delusion. Our minds just don't experience peace 
because the hindrances are very strong. So we need to work at reducing them. So we can reduce these hindrances initially through our generosity and then lessen them further through virtue. And our minds aren't as chaotic as they were before. That we're really intent to not kill any beings, to not steal, to not engage in sexual misconduct, to not lie, and to not take any alcohol or intoxicants. And for those who don't keep these precepts, they have these defilements, this greed, hatred, and delusion, uh, but there's no boundary to them. There's no boundary to keep them within. And so if they feel greed, then they just act, and oftentimes in immoral ways. It's the same for anger, the same for delusion. And their lives can really turn into a mess. They can create a lot of chaos, and things can really be agitated and unsettled. And the reason that the world is in such a chaotic state is because people don't keep the precepts, because they're not virtuous, and because people don't know how to sacrifice, how to share. But if we do have these qualities, if we're able to sacrifice, if we don't harm any beings, um, then this provides great happiness and peace. And when we really put the religions that we respect into practice, then this brings us happiness. Happiness through our actions of body, speech, and mind. Initially, this comes up just through one level, in that we create peace and ease through our actions of body and speech. And this is what we call sila. So this sila is like a rock. It's um, a firm foundation and something that our minds can depend upon, something that they can be, that can make them sturdy. And we see that with buildings that we create, they need a strong foundation. They need to have uh, poles which are driven deep into the ground, and these poles need to be very strong and sturdy. And if they're not deep, or if they're not strong, then problems will arise when we try to build that structure further. So sealer is something that's very important. It gives us this strength, this inner strength of heart. So for the most part, us Buddhists, you know, we're very good at being generous. This is something that we do very well already. We have this material wealth that we can share with one another. And this is good. We're creating goodness through this. Goodness through our generosity. This is a kind of merit that we're creating. But we also need to understand that being wealthy and um, gaining many material things, that this has its causes and conditions. And uh, we need to put those causes and conditions into place before we're able to, to get these benefits. So we see like Venerable Sivali, that in a previous life he had offered honey to a Pacheka Buddha, a solitary Buddha. And uh, this was the cause for him gaining many things in his last life. And it's the same for Lady Visaka and Anandapindaka and Jyotika that they had been very generous uh, before. So in their life, um, when they were around at the time of the Buddha, 
then they had things in completion, that they had everything they needed externally. Because they had made offerings to Pajeka Buddhas or fully self-awakened Buddhas in the past. So we need to understand that if we're going to get many things, if we're going to have everything that we need, that this comes from causes and conditions that we need to have created. And it also comes from our mindfulness and wisdom, knowing how to seek out wealth, being wise and mindful around that. And so really it depends upon the merit that we've created in our barami as well, in order to be able to get these things. So we should ask ourselves that if we have a lot of greed, will that make us happy? It just causes a lot of difficulty and suffering in this world. But if the opposite is, if we have the opposite quality of sacrifice, of generosity, then this gives us peace. And we see how for the monastic Sangha, that we're able to survive due to the generosity of the laity, that they come and they offer land, they offer materials um, and buildings, they offer food um, and clothing and medicine. And this is what allows us to survive. And there's also that which we gain from nature, that nature allows us to survive in this world as well, allows our lives to continue. The weather, for example, is suitable for us to be able to survive. But if nature deteriorates, then the weather, for example, starts to deteriorate, it starts to change. And it makes our lives in this world very difficult. So if nature is in a good state, then this brings us happiness to one degree in our lives in this world. But if this nature deteriorates, then it makes things, it makes life in this world very difficult. So this quality of sacrifice is what gives rise to peace within our societies as well. The monks are able to survive due to the generosity of the laity. And uh, a further peace that we experience um, in living our lives together is that which comes up due to virtue. So for monks to be able to stay together happily, they need to keep their precepts and their virtue on the same standard as each other. And it's the same for the laity as well. Really, everyone should be keeping these five precepts. And so everyone who comes to this monastery, and we're keeping these precepts, and that provides peace for us. And so, say for example, someone left their wallet behind, and there was a million baht within that. But with everyone keeping these precepts, then no one would want to take that. Why is that? It's because they see that their virtue is worth more than a million baht. That even though we may get many things externally, many gems and precious jewels, diamonds, these are just external things, things which have to deteriorate, things which are subject to being lost, to being stolen. But Asila is a noble wealth, something that no one, no thing is able to take away from us. It's this wealth which exists within our hearts, And it's very important. So initially this noble wealth, it comes to us through our generosity and through our sila. But also mindfulness, samadhi and wisdom, 
these are also things which give rise to this inner noble wealth. They're things that no one's able to steal from us because they truly belong to us. And so we should try to develop this, develop this inner wealth, develop our own hearts so that they gain wisdom. And this wisdom is what's able to destroy and defeat these defilements. It's what allows us to abandon greed, hatred, and delusion. So for us, we're already generous. We've taken up the precepts already. And so what's left is for us to cultivate our hearts. You see that each life that the Buddha had previously as a bodhisattva, that he cultivated his bharamis. He cultivated generosity, he cultivated virtue. So his life as Vaisandhara, he cultivated this virtue of generosity, that he was willing to give up his children, his wife, that all his possessions, for the sake of peace, for the sake of developing meditation, and for becoming a fully self-awakened Buddha. And so this is no small matter, it's no easy thing. And we see that for us, we're able to sacrifice external wealth and develop our generosity in this way. But if we're talking about sacrificing our bodies, sacrificing our lives, then this is something that's really difficult to do. But it's something that our Buddha was able to do, to give up his life. And so we see that he was really someone exceptional in this way. He was willing to sacrifice his life um, for the sake of awakening. We all have respect in Lord Buddha, and so we should practice following his footsteps. We're generous, we keep the precepts, we listen to the Dhamma, we have this respect for the Dhamma. And then we come to develop samadhi in order to bring about inner peace. You focus on the breath and know the breath as it comes in and it goes out. And this is what allows the mind to settle into peace, to come together into samadhi. And when the mind is centered in samadhi, and then we should contemplate into this body. What is it that makes us get born? What is it that allows us to stay in this world? And why do I attach to this body as being me and mine? Ask ourselves, do we want for these bodies to become ill? Do we want for them to get old, to get painful, to die? And none of us want these things. So why is it that the body is of this nature? Why does it have this nature of change? Why must it grow old? Why will it get sick? And why then does it die? What this shows us is that our minds aren't able to control our bodies. And they are not under anyone's control because they belong to the world and the world owns itself. So there was one venerable monk during the time of the Buddha and he was asked why he was able to ordain. And he responded that this world is its always shaking, it's not stable. The world is never satiated it's a slave to craving, it's never full, it's always hungry, it's always kind of empty. But what about our minds? Do they feel full? Because some people, they don't have much externally, they don't have a lot of money, but they feel like what they have is enough. 
But if we don't feel like what we have is enough, then it's never going to be enough. There'll always be the sense of not enoughness, of lack within our hearts. We will just want more gain. We'll want more praise, even higher status, more pleasure. And it's never going to be enough. And so we see there's never a sense of fullness. There's always hunger within the heart. If we're going to gain fullness, what we need is the Dhamma. Because living our lives in this world, if our hearts always have greed, hatred and delusion within them, then they'll always be hungry, they'll never be full. There'll always be this craving within the heart, and whatever the mind craves, we have to do that, we have to follow its orders. And what that shows us is that we're a slave to our craving. Whatever it is that the heart desires, we just have to follow that. We get dragged around by it. And there's no freedom. So what we need to do is find emancipation. We need to gain liberation from this craving. And in order to gain that, we need a heart that is pure. To gain a heart of purity, we need to walk this path of sila, samadhi, and panya. And this is really important, because the Buddha taught this noble path, this eightfold path. And it's something that we know already. And knowing about it, we should put it into practice, we should walk it. So we develop all these qualities. And they're things that we can develop. Or for those of us who aren't generous, um, we can develop this quality of generosity and become generous. For those of us who don't keep the precepts, then we can keep these precepts. And we should keep these five precepts. And as we carry on practicing, then maybe one day a week we can keep the eight precepts. And then next we need to come to meditate. And because this marga of sila, samadhi and panya is something that we need to walk in its completion. For us, we've, we've been generous, we've kept the precepts, um, but oftentimes people don't then meditate. And that's not enough to be able to defeat the defilements. And because our minds aren't stable, They've created goodness to one degree, and so they're able to abandon evil to one degree. But the mind isn't yet full. And because we don't meditate, then there'll be a lot of unskillful states arising within the mind. So initially we just try to not follow those, we endure, and this is sila. And we see that if we don't have this quality of sila, then our hearts and our lives are very heavy, very burdensome, because we're always carrying the world on our shoulders. We're carrying around all our emotions, and we're not able to put them down. If we keep sila and we're generous, then this will make our lives lighter to one degree. And then when we're able to gain samadhi, then they become a lot lighter. There'll be certain meditation, and both the body and the mind feel very buoyant. So we carry on practicing and developing this quality of samadhi. And when we can get the mind into a good state where it's really firm, and it comes out of that state, it'll start attaching again. And while it's in that state, it'll feel very light, but when it clings, then it becomes heavy. So what do we do? Well, we need to contemplate to see anicca, dukkha, anatta, and to see how all the sense impressions are um, unstable, stressful, and not self. 
are things that it's inappropriate for us to attach to. Contemplate that these lives must end in death, that there's no true self to them, that when we die, there's no me, there's no mine left anymore. And when we think in this way, then our minds can become quite light, we're able to put things down. If we don't have good virtue, then the number of times that we have to be born and die in the cycle of samsara is huge. There's many, many lives. But when we have this quality of virtue um, and we're able to establish the mind in samadhi and then we're able to give rise to wisdom and then we're able as well to abandon greed, hatred and delusion to one level. So it's initially like we have a glass which is full of water. We can say that it's like a mind which is full of these chelases. Um, And so if we're going to make this lighter, this glass lighter, then we have to reduce the water in it. We have to make sure that water gets less and less. So when we're able to put down or abandon greed, hatred and delusion to one level, It's like the glass goes from being entirely full to being three-quarters full. And that's because we've walked this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, and we're able to, to put these things down, we're able to destroy the defilements to one degree. This shows that in a state that one has become a sotapanna, and there's no eighth life, at most there's seven lives, and then in the middle level of a sotapanna, it's uh, three lives left. In the foremost level of a sotapanna, there's just one life left. So there are these three levels, seven lives, three lives, and one life. So in order to get there, we need to just carry on developing our barami, our spiritual virtues. Just carry on trying and practicing and um, really getting the mind into the state of samadhi, uh, developing generosity, being virtuous, um, developing meditation. And these are all inner wealths that we gain. And we also need this wealth of wisdom as well, and seeing all external things, all material things in this world as being unstable, stressful, and not self. When we see that it is this way, then we'll know that we're not able to take anything with us. That really nothing in this world actually belongs to us. It just belongs to the world itself. That these things, they all exist within the solar system and they can't be taken outside of the solar system. And that we're not able to take anything with us. The body is something that we just rely upon temporarily. And so this is something that we should contemplate and think about every single day, that we just live in this world temporarily. We're not able to take anything in this world with us. So for those people who have intelligence, they'll use their lives to create goodness, good karma. For those people lacking intelligence, then they'll use this life to create bad karma. And in that case, when they die, then there's a high probability that they'll go to a place of suffering. But if we create inner brightness, as goodness within our hearts, then there's a great opportunity that when we die we'll go to a good place, a happy place. 
So we need to abandon ignorance, craving, and clinging. We need to abandon this self-view, skeptical doubt, and attachments, rites, and rituals. This is something that we need to work on here in this present moment, putting these things down, abandoning the sense of self, and bringing about right view, view into not-self. And so we ask ourselves, this me and the things that belong to me, are they actually real? Are they actually this way? You see that we're able to survive in this world just due, due to this breath, this in-breath, this out-breath. Ask ourselves, if we're not breathing, how long can we survive? And not long time at all, we'll die. If we don't take in any water, uh, then in not many days, we'll die. We hear maybe that some monks or ascetics that are able to go without food for a long time. But water is something that uh, we can't abstain from for long periods, and that we will die if we don't drink water. In this breath, it's even more true for the breath, that if we stop breathing for just five minutes, then we'll die, and every being, every animal is like this, or all the people, rather, in this world are like this. And we depend upon these four elements for our existence. And when this earth, water, fire, and air comes together, then the body is formed and it becomes strong. But if these start to deteriorate or they get out of balance, then what happens? Well, illness arises. So we should reflect and see how this body is not me, it's not mine. And a sotapanna is one who has seen this to one degree, and this knowledge steadily gets deeper and deeper. In order to gain this state, we need the state of samadhi, so that the hindrances are put at bay, and then we're able to contemplate in order to extract the self-view from our hearts. And through doing this, then the glass, this glass of water, gets even lighter. After gaining insight like this, oftentimes the mind will just want to rest, and it'll just rest in the state of peace and stillness, maybe for one year or two years, and it's not able to contemplate. And then we just carry on practicing, working at destroying these defilements, and making our greed and anger less and less. Some people ask, why is it that they've already seen into not-self, already um, broken this Sakaya Ditti, so why is there still anger and greed there? And so they've destroyed these, or reduced these qualities of anger and greed to one degree. And so the glass has been, or the water in the glass has been lessened by a quarter. And the mind experiences one level of firmness and stability through this. And so... From this place, then, one needs to carry on developing samadhi, and this gets more and more stable. The knowledge that we gain gets more and more clear. And uh, the water in the glass reduces, and we feel lighter than things were before. As we carry on practicing, then it just gets lighter and lighter. Previously, the amount of lives that we had left in sangsara was many, the amount of times we needed to be born and die was many. And we just didn't know when this could possibly end. 
But now there's just seven lives left, or three lives, or just one life left. And then when greed, hatred, and delusion is destroyed to another degree, then there's only half a glass of water. And we know that the number of lives that we have left is less than it was before. And there's no real greed there, that we just don't want things in this world anymore. And even though there's anger, that anger won't go into ill will. And it's normal for kind of unawakened beings um, that when there's anger, there'll also be ill will accompanying it. But for those who have gained some degree of awakening, um, there's no ill will anymore. So through walking this path of sila, samadhi and banya, then the water left in the glass gets less and less, that the heart becomes more and more peaceful, until it reaches a state where it won't be born again into this world. It won't be born as a deva, it won't be born as a human again. And this is an anagami, the state of a non-returner. And in this state, there's just one quarter of water left in that glass. And then next we contemplate, and contemplate to see everything as being empty. And then the glass empties out, to the point where there's no glass left at all. The mind becomes empty and it reaches Nibbana. So we should practice in this way. But we also shouldn't kind of just desire after these states. But rather, we should just look into the present moment and know, be mindful, whether there's any greed present in the heart, whether there's any anger, whether there's any delusion that's coming up in the present moment. And we do this every day, always keeping a check on these defilements, knowing how they're operating. But it's also not the case that when we walk this path and we give up greed, that we just kind of don't have anything or we're not interested in gaining anything externally. We're still able to to work and to gain um, these physical possessions, but we do so in a way that's wholesome, in a way that's upright and good. Because when we have this quality of sila and when the heart has dhamma, and then it will feel this inner coolness. And the heart suffers because it has the state of craving within it. It never feels full. And so we need to come and contemplate into the nature of all the things in this world so that we can gain wisdom. This wisdom that allows us to abandon all evil, to give rise to skillfulness, and to bring the mind to a state of purity. So may all of you grow in the Dhamma.